Hello and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm Annabelle Collins and I'm joined by Henry Anderson and Lawrence Dunhill. NHS trusts have more cash now than before the pandemic. This might sound counterintuitive, but HSJ analysis has revealed trusts have built up cash reserves to the tune of 18 billion and will be using this money to help cope with cost pressures. We'll be discussing how trusts are balancing the books and whether this could help the NHS during an extremely pressurised time. Also this week, a trust in the northwest is finally about to move services into a long-awaited new but smaller hospital. However, just a few days before, it sent a full capacity alert to staff. We'll be talking about these potentially overly ambitious plans and the risks they might pose to patient care. But first, let's talk about cash balances. I'm going to come to you first, Lawrence. Why have trusts built up so much money? It seems slightly strange to me that they'd have more cash than before the pandemic. Yeah, it, it, this one does does seem counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because we, it, there's been lots of talk in this financial year about how difficult it is for trusts, it's going to be for trusts to meet their financial targets and make 5% cost improvement plans. Um, you've got the inflation pressures, which are which mean that the NHS funding is being um, is reduced in real terms this year. So there's been lots of talk about how difficult it will be. Um, but we 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 knew um, that during during the pandemic there was a lot of money that flowed into the NHS, and it turns out a lot of it ha- it wasn't spent. Um, and so if you look at the or, although the surplus uh, surplus deficit position of the NHS kind of stayed relatively stable for the last three years. The cash balance has has risen right up. So it's gone from just above 5 billion in 2018-19 to 18 billion um, at, at March this year. So that's more than around three times what it was. Um, and the, there's lots of there's some kind of slightly complicated accounting reasons why why that's the case, which we can perhaps get into. Um, but it, essentially, trusts now have these very large cash reserves, which they can now draw on um, in some in some slightly technical ways to help hit their financial targets this year. So so it, it what it means is that the the challenge this year isn't as difficult as it looks. Mm. Perhaps we could get stuck into some of these technical ways. Are they are they all above board? Um, it's 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 difficult to say sort of conclusively that that, that they are not above board. <laughs> but um, the National Audit Office um, made an observation in the Department of Health accounts uh, for 2020-21, which is the year when a lot of this the accounting for this happened um so so there was lots of lots of money suddenly poured into the nhs at the start of covid and wasn't spent at that time instructions went out from the center from the dh from nhs england to build up your balance sheets which effectively means use this cash to try and mask this cash in your accounts so um make your expenses look higher than they look higher than they were um and and the cash will still will still sit in your account so it won't actually leave your account but the respect the expenses that you record 
are going to be higher than what is actually going out. And that, I mean, to an extent, this that is just what accounting involves from year to year. The accountants will make overly prudent or prudent assumptions uh, when times are good, when there's lots of cash going around, and they'll be more aggressive with their accounting assumptions when uh, times are tough. Um, but it's, it does seem like a lot of this went on in 2020-21 because there was so much money and the NHS was thinking we don't need this money now or we can't spend it now but we do want to we, we, we want to keep it down the sofa basically mm -hmm. to to use when times get tougher. And um, were there no restrictions on this money so it wasn't given with kind of a you know you must spend it on this type thing? Um, difficult, difficult to say. It certainly will have it, that will have been the case for um, for some of it. Mm. So it, it would have been um, assigned for specific capital projects, mm. um, but but for a lot of it, I don't think so. Mm. Henry, this might be a good point to to bring you in. Perhaps I wonder what sort of things are trusts potentially spending this cash on at the moment. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you get the sense that some of it will sort of erode naturally, but but there is also this um, this feeling that quite a lot of this money is going to be is basically going to be used to to plug gaps in existing spending. Um, one uh, ICB finance lead that I spoke to said, you know, 2023 was the, the current year. The financial year is seen as quite a grim financial outlook, but actually. If you use this this sort of cash reserve that you have, you can very much smooth that transition. Um, but what he said was, all you all you're doing is you're postponing the cliff edge till till a later date because um, because the money will run out. You can only use it once. Um, so so you know they still have the problem to deal with. Um, it will just be a later date. It's been suggested to me that um, trusts and systems are looking to to spend around well release around 1.5 billion from these um cash reserves um to to kind of plug uh, spending gaps so there's you know, a chunky amount of money that will be covering gaps in existing plans and then that will have to be found next year do we have an idea of how it's sort of spread out around the english nhs do, do you know trusts that have kind of bigger I suppose uh, savings of the of this money. Yeah, the thing that's interesting is that it's very much not distributed evenly um, mm. because the way that the COVID money flowed means that the money because they suspended normal um, contracting rules which kind of match activity to and payment you know to provider. Um, so, so lots of people describe it as fairly lumpy in that there might be a small trust which is big, big cash balances um, and larger trusts that have you know, smaller balances than their size would suggest. So it's not necessarily a very equitable way um, of kind of meeting these savings gaps. It's, it's not distributed in any kind of logical way. Mm. And that's interesting. And um, I wonder, is there kind of pressure? Or do they feel that there's pressure to spend this money in a certain time or if they want to eke this out, they can do. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it was largely it would largely be down to the discretion of you know the, the trust finance directors, the system finance directors. Um, you know, it's probably worth noting that, that um, you know the analogy is like um, dipping into your savings to to pay for for your bills or your 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 food. Um, so obviously, eventually, your savings will run out. Um, but again, to use that analogy, if you're in a kind of you know, crunch point, it might make sense to do that. And that's, I think, the position that a lot of trusts are in. Um, and that they, they don't really have any other option except to um, use this money to, in a sense, kick the, uh, kick the can down the road. Mm. Um, it sounds like it's kind of a short term, a short term kind of advantage, really. It, it, I guess it will have quite a limited kind of medium and long term impact. On their finances and their ability to, you know, invest in capital, recruit more staff, kind of, kind of long-term planning that the NHS so desperately needs. Is that is that kind of a fair reading of this? Would you say? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the the capital one is particularly um, important because the logical thing to spend this money on would be capital, because we know there's a massive backlog of of maintenance. There is, you know, hospitals trust wanting to bring on new projects and capital by its definition is something that you spend money on uh, for the actual construction or the repairs you spend it once. So we have on one hand a huge need for capital and on the other hand have a large pot of money mm. which is only available once. Um, but then you start to run into uh, the kind of very Byzantine rules uh, that govern NHS capital spending and public sector capital spending which is that the Treasury uh, doesn't let you spend more than your allocated amount. So if you save up some money, which trusts have done it in this way, mm. uh, you're not allowed to spend that necessarily on um, on capital improvements. So so none of this kind of takes away from the fact that the NHS budget is very tight, historically speaking, and will remain so despite this kind of one-off advantage. Mm. So I think uh, it's, some trusts will absolutely want to spend this money on capital projects and if they can get the permission from the from the center to use up some of the the cdel limit so the capital the national capital spending limit then they they will want to do that but i think on the whole trust will try and avoid spending this um cash or, or accounting for these expenses as, as long as as long as possible so that they kind of keep they will keep it stored away hidden um until they've eked as much money out of the government as possible to make this year um more more doable um and only use it when they're really desperate to at the end um otherwise they 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 will try and keep it into next year or the year after if they possibly can uh, but but yeah it's but it's very much a sort of for one off use so if you you've kind of got this card down in in your back pocket that you can play at some point you want to you want to keep it there as long as possible do you think that trusts were given too much money during the pandemic um i suppose just on a on a bare factual level yes because they that they didn't you know they didn't spend mm. nearly as much as they were given mm. um so i suppose you know but it, so if you went back in time the government would clearly give them less if if they knew exactly how much they were going to spend mm. um i but, wonder as, as well kind of whether you've seen this 
I don't know, maybe it's a bit too soon because I haven't seen this reported hugely, but how this might be flipped in terms of, you know, by certain you know, wings of the press, kind of the NHS isn't underfunded, the NHS has too much money and how that could be potentially used as an argument to, you know, to cut to cut spending in in the future. What, what are your thoughts on that? It, I think it I think it certainly will be, yeah. And, and from some of the people who were sort of retweeting the story, uh, I think one of the, you know, Institute for Economic Affairs and, and people like this, uh, and, and you know, people who are more hawkish on NHS mm. spending, basically, mm. um, because on on a bare factual level, it, it, you know, the NHS was given a lot more money than it spent and arguably needed. Um, but I think if you if you work in the NHS, you would kind of point to the fact that compared to other countries, the service is underfunded, mm. and um, giving it a bit of a cushion some money down the sofa a card in the back pocket to play at some point is no bad thing when there are going to be some very tough years coming yes i do sort of i do wonder whether um you know the officials at um department of health and possibly the treasury are kind of poking around these sort of things and seeing what money they could find from existing budgets that could be diverted as a sort of, you know, something like emergency care. I mean, I imagine it'd be quite difficult to do because it's not held kind of equally and distributed, but it must be quite an attractive kind of uh, source of funding that they could try and unlock from their perspective because it doesn't come with, they don't actually have to put any more money in. Yeah, and it will certainly be a feature of the negotiations between NHS England and and the Department of Health and the Treasury. Um, NHS England will say, well, we're getting a real terms funding cut, and everyone's having to do five percent cost improvement plans. That's in, that's impossible. Um, and the Treasury will no doubt be saying, yeah, but you've got all that cash that you stored away <laughs> during during the pandemic. So we think we think you're actually fine for this year, and we'll, you know we'll talk again next year. So maybe it's better just to spend it as quickly as possible. <laughs> Well, I think I think from the NHS point of view, better to get as much money as you can out of the government as possible by emphasising how difficult things are, yes, and and then save this money for as long as as long as you possibly can. For a rainy day. Yeah. Just finally, like oh sorry, Henry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say this is this has been and probably will be the only time in a sort of decade that they've actually had they've been in the situation of having too much money. Yeah, I don't imagine this is one we'll be re revisiting in a few years' time. <laughs> the NHS's cash balance surplus, um, although maybe I'm wrong. Just to just to go back to the national the national audit office thing, Annabelle, and just to be sort of more specific on on whether whether this stuff is questionable or not, it when it 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 did actually qualify the the Department of Health accounts in regards to um, how all this accounting was going on, and it and it made the point that estimates of expenditure uh, no, which are known as accruals which are how all this worked um, are vulnerable to bias uh, and it said there was a it, it qualified the counts because there was a risk of material misstatement and just uh, for the non-accountants out there quali qualifying accounts it basically means there's a there's a real concern that that the information given in the accounts is not correct mm. And it's a, that's a it's quite a big deal in mm -hmm. in accountancy speak. Absolutely, super interesting story. Thanks, thanks both so much. I think now's a good time to move on to our next story for this week's episode, which is 
taking us to the northwest. And Lawrence, something you've been reporting on, um, a hospital that has been struck by, well, full capacity just a few days before they're meant to be moving into a smaller new site. Um, what? So, you know, what, what, why are they moving into a smaller hospital if they're already full? Okay, so the 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 first thing is that the, the the opening of this new hospital, the new Royal Liverpool, is really good news for the city, and it's been coming for a long, long time. The you know the planning for it started more than a decade ago, um, and the project has been has suffered like many delays, including the the collapse of Carillion, which you'll probably remember. That Carillion was the main contractor. It was a PFI hospital, and then it was brought onto the government books after the after their collapse. Um, and so the city has waited ages for this for this really high tech, good quality building. Um, the the issue is. And this is all. This has always been known as an issue. So when when the planning for the building was done, um, as it, as often happens with the big NHS projects like this, there were some quite ambitious assumptions made as to how many inpatient beds would be needed because every the NHS had long been trying to to do more care in the community and not treat as many patients in hospital, and so they decided that this hospital should have 640 beds um which which compared to the sort of more than 800 at the existing hospital that 800 has come down over the years as they as they've kind of gradually tried to get tried to bring the bed base down to prepare for the move to the new hospital but they haven't quite they haven't quite managed it and the the current hospital has about 685 so that's about 45 beds more than the new building um and then what's happened this week is suddenly staff are getting very concerned about this move because there's going to be a net reduction in beds um, when the trust are issuing full capacity protocols um, and uh, and kind of warning about overcrowding in ED and um, no room in resuscitation areas and stuff um, and so it just seems it's on a surface level, it seems a bit bonkers to be moving to a smaller hospital when you're full to capacity. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of suggests to me that this, you know, the amount of time it takes to get a project like this through, you said, you know, a decade, over a decade ago, I guess it's not very agile. Um, I wonder if you think this is kind of a problem more generally in the NHS that these, you know, these these projects are planned, but actually they're quite rigid and can't can't kind of flex with demand and you know, capacity and what's needed in the you know in ten years' time. Yeah, it definitely does. Definitely does seem to be a problem in in all sorts of NHS planning, not just for um, new hospitals, but in in terms of uh, how the how the systems are set up. It it seems like the, the NHS is always sort of planning for the last crisis, and then by the time the new plans have come to fruition, mm. there's a new crisis. There's a new thing that's happened. Um, and and the planning has to start all over again um mm. but the 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 the, tr the, tr the the royal liverpool hospital has said that there are some new beds going to be opening in the community which will make up some of that 45 bed deficit so i, th I think they'll, they'll push it up by around 30 by some new community beds and then the new hospital has more space and scope for um 
specialist consultants to be more involved in the triaging at the at the start of the pathway, um, which in theory should should avoid some more um, admissions. Um, but you know, as many people in the NHS will will know, th those sorts of plans don't always work out to the extent that you you hope they will. Um, and so it it does just feel like quite a big risk. Mm, and um, a risk to patient care potentially as well, would you say? Um, yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. If if um, you know, if if there's if there's not enough beds for for the patients that need it, you're going to then clinicians are going to be taking riskier decisions to to mm. to not admit, um, and and then potentially patients who do need an admission are are, are not going to be getting one. Mm. Um, so are they are they going ahead with this move? Do you know when it's going to happen exactly? Yeah, it's yeah, it's happening at the end of the month. Um, what I, what I'm planning to ask the trust today is what what is happening with the old building in the short term. So so the old hospital, which is is literally on a on an adjacent site, mm. um, is is due to be demolished. Mm. Um, but perhaps in the short term, they can keep on using some of the wards. Um, that might be challenging though. If they ha they don't have enough staff to you know, start a new hospital and keep a few of the old wards going, that could be very tricky. It could, it could certainly, but maybe may better than nothing. Um, but I'm going to ask them a few questions about that. Mm, interesting to come back to. Thanks very much, Lawrence. Um, we've reached the end of our time for this week's podcast. And just a reminder, it's available every week on our website and across all the main podcast channels. And please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And for more health policy news and analysis, also check out our website where you can also subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.